Good morning. I'd like to start off first by saying thank you to everybody that was praying for my husband as he was in the hospital last week on Monday. He got admitted, and uh, so I just want to thank you for your prayers and for your kind words in your posts, in your visits. They really meant the world to us, and they lifted his spirit so much, and mine. Um, he's finally on the mend. I thought he was a little delirious there for a second and forgot an announcement, but I guess he's okay. I was just testing him. <laughs> um, when we were on our trip to Africa, we were, um, it was probably on Wednesday, he said to me, do you think you could go ahead and speak on pastor appreciation? And I said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, oh, no, no, I really think that you should do it. And I kept saying no, but I finally, I mean, he worked on me for about an hour and I finally said yes. So Thursday, we're heading home, we're starting, and he gets sick. He starts not feeling well. He's got the shivers, he's got a fever, and so we get on the plane on Thursday night, and he is nauseous, and he just can't sleep, and I'm worried about him, and Friday comes, we get home, he's a little bit better, he can drive us the whole way from New York, thank God, because I didn't want to drive. Um, gets us back, he's not feeling well, Saturday comes, he's still not well, Bob calls and says, hey, listen, don't mess with this, if he's sick, you gotta get him to the ER. And he said, I don't wanna go, let's just wait for the doctor. So I said, okay, so Sunday we came here, he insisted, um, he was still very weak, but by the time we got home on Sunday, he was no good, he just had to rest, and I was taking care of him. So Monday came and we went, called the doctor and they said, no, you take him directly to the ER. So Monday we take him to the ER and he gets admitted immediately. So Monday through Thursday, all we're doing is a lot I'm doing. He was resting, sort of, in the hospital. You don't rest much. But was running back and forth from Dubois to Clearfield to Grampian and trying to keep some normalcy for my son because he's back from Africa and he has to catch up on his homework. And it was just very, very chaotic. And so I didn't have time to prepare. All these things I was thinking I was gonna do got blown out the window. And so when I started thinking, okay, I'm gonna prepare on Thursday, he's out of the hospital, I went home and I got sick. And so <laughs> I, would, I couldn't even eat because as soon as I would put food in my mouth, my stomach would cramp so terribly, it would double me over. And so I was stuck on the couch. I really couldn't even concentrate. It was so painful. And it's been like that all weekend. Today is the first day, praise God, that I can stand up for longer than an hour without having immense pain. But don't worry, I did prepare something. <laughs> it wasn't just for that story. Um, but Friday, so I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I just kept remembering a sermon that I had heard on the radio. And it was, about a, it was a pastor saying, who believes that Satan is real? Raise your hand. Who believes that Satan is busy going to and fro all over the earth trying to deter God's work at all costs that he can do? Raise your hand. Right? Yeah, he is. He's always, always doing something to make us think that what we're doing isn't good, we shouldn't be doing it, whether it be sickness or distraction or doubt or even that we're not capable or we're not suited for the job. Um, so during that time, over the last couple of days, he's been, he's been coming at us pretty hard. Last night I was 
laying in bed thinking, okay, I just need to get some rest. And you know, that jerk is what I'm going to call him, started on me. And he, I'm sorry? Not Sam? No. no. It wasn't Sam Laurie, it's okay. <laughs> you do. No, it was Satan. And I'm telling you what, he was just reminding me of everything, once again, of why I have no place standing here representing the church, representing the congregation to appreciate our pastors, or even to talk to the pastors about how much we appreciate them. But you know what the good thing is? Is he does not win. He never wins. And so in the middle of the night, as I lay there just thinking, what am I doing? I said, devil, in the name of Jesus Christ, get behind me. And you know what? He did. He had to flee. And then I got some rest, and I was so thankful for that rest. Now, I'm just a student in the ministry, a volunteer at the church. I try to do what God wants me to do all the time. It's really hard. We all know that, right? But now think of our pastors. This is their job day in and day out, and their family's job day in and day out to serve the Lord, serve this congregation, and be good shepherds to us. So how much more do you think that Satan attacks them? Yeah, a lot. I'm sure all the time. And when we're under attack, sometimes we forget what we're supposed to do because we're so under attack. So what should we do as a congregation to support our pastors? What should we do, right? We know some things that we should do, but... Today, I'm just going to remind you of things that we're supposed to do. First, we should pray for them. Praying does not cost anything except for a little bit of time and some thought in a relationship with God. We need to pray for them. We need to pray when we wake up. We need to pray when we're eating. We need to pray when we're driving. We need to pray when we go to sleep that our pastors will be protected, that we can lift them up, and that God will put a hedge of protection around them and their families and their children so that they can do the good work in which that they have been called. We need to pray that our pastors will stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around their waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place with their feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, that they would take up the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, in order for them to be the pastors in which they have been called. There are days when we're under attack, and we all know this, that we forget that, don't we? We forget that. Just open the Bible. Read. So they're very busy working constantly for us, for God, to do what they've been called to do. So let's remember them in our prayers always. We can come together as one body to be united, to not bicker with one another, and instead lift each other up. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have to show up. There are pastors. We're their sheep. We're supposed to be here so that they can teach us the good news. 
on how to live, how to live out our lives for Christ as they do. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's easy to complain. It's easy to complain about things that we see happening in the church. It's easy to complain about the pastors in our church, that we don't like necessarily maybe what they're doing or how they're running a program or how they have this schedule set, that we have two services or one service or that youth is on Sunday night or that Kid Blast is on Wednesday night. Whatever your complaints are, it's easy to complain. It's easy to stand on the sidelines and do that. But the truth is, is that we're supposed to lift each other up. And in that lifting up, we're supposed to hold each other accountable too. And so instead of complaining, let's search our own hearts and see what we can change. And within that change, let's be truthful with our brothers and sisters too. Let's not hold back and say, oh, you know what, Rich, you're bugging me. I'm not going to tell you about it, though. I'm going to tell Sam and I'm going to tell Katie about it. That's not okay. We need to go to each other and say, listen, this is my concern. It's hard to do. But my pastors have taught me that, that that is what I'm supposed to do. I have a, I have a confession, and I wasn't going to say it, but I'll tell you, the Lord kept putting it on my heart. Um, can you bring me my glass of water? My mouth is dry. Whenever, it was a while ago, like nine years ago. Sorry, Bob, you didn't know about this. <laughs> it really had nothing to do with you, though. But <laughs> a friend of mine and I were out to eat. And while we were out, we were discussing, not quietly, about an issue that we had with someone here at the church. And... It was not even a big deal. We were just grumbling. Just grumbling for no good reason. We should have just shut our mouths, but instead we decided to grumble in a line of people at a restaurant. And as our grumbling continued, we got very indignant about it, that why would they do this? And if they're going to complain about it, they shouldn't even do it, blah, blah, blah. Well... Have you ever had sin look you right in the face and say, hello? Yeah, that day, <laughs> two people up from us was someone from the church. Someone that was good friends with that person. And they turned, and I know they heard me, and they went, hello, ladies. I about died. I shrunk. I felt like a fool. And I was reminded I was wrong. So very wrong. And that's when sin looked me right in the face and said, are you glorifying God? Are, should have you gone to that person instead? What does that say about our church if I'm out there talking badly about it in public to other people? It says bad things. So we have to lift each other up. And just for the record, I haven't done that since. You'll be happy to know that. <laughs> That was really embarrassing for me. And you know what? I know I'm not alone in that. I may be the only one up here saying that publicly right now, but I know I'm not alone. And so let's lift each other up together so we can honor our pastors that way. The third thing we can do is believe in them and believe in their vision. 
and support them that way. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is what our pastors are doing for our church. This is what they've been called to do. When Sam was in the hospital, this church rallied behind him with so many prayers, with so many comments on Facebook, questioning how is he doing, any update on Sam. People were calling each other, asking them. These things didn't happen because it's our nature. Sure, we're nice people. Of course we are. Just ask us. We'll tell you. But it's not our nature to do that. But because of the vision of our pastors, because of the culture that they have decided is important, that God called them to do this, <clears throat> excuse me, and told them that this is how this church needs to be, we gather together and lift one another up. When we are sick, we help each other. We pray for each other. When we need help, we're there for each other all the time. This is not something, again, that's natural. It's something that is a culture here at our church because of our pastors. Before I was following Jesus, another comment, another testimony for me, I drank. Not just a glass of wine. I drank a lot. I liked it. And when I started following Jesus, he convicted me that that was wrong, and it was not glorifying to him at all. Even though I felt like it was, it wasn't. And so I made a promise to God, I made a deal with him, that I would never, ever have alcohol cross my lips again. And from that day that I made that promise to him, I have never had alcohol cross my lips again. And I never will. It's not even an option for me. The second reason I don't drink is because I want to set a good example for my son. I don't want him to drink. And I feel like if I want him to act, walk, talk, and do a certain way, then I need to act, walk, talk, and do a certain way. And so I was telling a family member once that they were trying to give me some brandy, and I said no, and he said, just do it. It's, I made it. It's good. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. But I made a deal with Jesus that I would never drink again ever, and I cannot do that. And I am setting an example for my son. And he said, that's ridiculous. You're an adult. You can do what you want to do. They do what they do. They're children. They do what you instruct them. You can do whatever you want. True, but not how I want to live my life. And it's not how our pastors want us to live our lives. They set the example for us. They don't do these things. They hold us to the same standard in which they hold themselves. If you saw one of the pastors out drinking, you'd probably think it was okay to drink. <laughs> Is that funny? <laughs> Stu's laughing. <laughs> it's not okay. And so we have to make sure that we are doing what we need to do, but our pastors, this is how they're leading us. 
In 1 Peter 5.3, it says, Not domineering over those you in, in your charge, but being examples to your flock. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's what we're supposed to do. As parents, we know this because that's how we lead our children. But we are their sheep. They are our shepherd. They are our leaders. This is what they're doing for us. When Sam was in the hospital, again, this was the most recent thing in our life, so it's kind of still domineering my life. Bob and Cindy came. Stephen and Jess came. John and Naomi came. Loretta lifted us in prayer every day. Bob came again. He was worried. <laughs> they set the example. Not one time in our life since we've been to this church have we ever questioned that we cannot call our pastor and have them come immediately. When my husband's mom was passing away, I called Stephen. I said, he needs you. He was at home with Jess. He was busy. He didn't need to deal with that. But you know what he did? He said, I am on my way, already there. Click, no questions asked. Not, what room is he in? Nothing. He just went. That's what we're supposed to do. Those are the examples that we have. When my dad passed away, Bob and Cindy were the first ones at our house to comfort me. These are things you'll never forget. These are lessons that we learn from our pastors and the way we're supposed to act, always. We're a church family. We're one body. We're supposed to lift each other up. We're supposed to be there for one another. We're supposed to imitate our leaders. Sorry about that. Okay, the fourth way to support our pastors is financially. We should be supporting them always. Our pastors live a life for God without grumbling on very little. I don't ever hear them complain. We ask them to do things sometimes and they say, oh, no, 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 we can't do that right now. And it's not because they don't want to. It's because right now they just don't have the means and they don't live outside their means. How can we do that? How can we support them financially without already giving our tithes and our offerings, right? Have you ever heard of when you, I know you've heard of it, but the pay it forward when you go to McDonald's and you see someone behind you and you pay for them? Do you know how much their bill's going to be? No. I've done it. I've paid triple what my coffee was going to cost. <laughs> and that's okay. But what if we went through that line and we said, here's the money for our bill and give me a $10 gift card. And we brought it over to the church and we gave it to one of the pastors. What if we're at the grocery store and we're buying a turkey and we say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna buy an extra turkey. It doesn't have to be a lot to be appreciated. It doesn't have to be a lot. It could be an extra 20 bucks you have in your pocket and say, oh, you know what? I bet the pastors could use that this week. Maybe they need gas. Maybe they need something. They're not going to ask. We want them to ask, but they're not going to. So it's not hard to bless our pastors in the little ways. It doesn't have to be, I mean, I'm sure you guys would like it, $1,000 at a time. <laughs> Who wouldn't like that? But it doesn't have to be that. We all know that we all can't do that. 
It can be in the little things, in the little gifts, the little monetary bit of money that we have that we can give to them. Our pastors are not more important than the other members of God's household. However, they are the human leaders of it. The pastor's job is to take care of his church, and it's the church's job to take care of our pastors. In 1 Corinthians 9.14, it says, those who proclaim the gospel should make their living by the gospel. And in Galatians 6.6, 6, it says, the one who is taught the message must share all of his good things with the teacher. We are being taught. Our pastors are called to be a certain way as well by God. Not just us, they are. First Timothy 3.2, it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Now, we can look at all of our pastors and say that they are all of those things. As I said before, though, the evil one, he doesn't want our pastors to live like this, and he will put all kinds of obstacles and temptations in front of them. And it is our job as the congregation of Hyde Wesleyan Church to come around them. Excuse me, my nose is running. And be their cheerleader. Lift them up. Lift their children up. Lift their wives up. Remind them that we can lighten their burden and we can do that for them there's one more thing that we can do and just as a parent I can tell you and most of you in here are parents some are new parents that whenever my son acts a certain way when he shows kindness sweetness love when he's not being selfish when he purposefully stands out of the crowd and proclaims God, my heart is overjoyed. I am so proud of him every single time that he does that. We can do that as well. They are our teachers. They are our shepherd. They are our leaders. What a better gift to give our pastors than the way we act, the way we change, the way we are living our life. Show them the fruit of what their hard work is. They are an example to us in all things. The way they deal with their money, the way they deal with their families, the way they talk to one another, the way they talk to us. They don't let us off the hook when we come to them and we have an issue or a problem. Pastor Bob has never said to me, oh, that's awful, angel, I'm with you. That's just terrible. He never ever, he doesn't not agree with me, but he always reminds me that it starts with me. The change is in me first, always. And we can do that. We can change and be different because of their teaching. And I think that we are. We are a representation of what is happening in our church. Our pastors and their spouses are searching always for God and wisdom to be good, trustworthy leaders. Let our actions replicate that. Now, Bob, a long time, well, a couple years ago, we were doing a play here, and 
they had a staff meeting and I wasn't here, I was in Florida. And they decided that was gonna be the first time I would speak in public at this church. I'm still giving the evil eye on that one. <laughs> it was not my choice, it was told to me that's what was gonna happen and because he knows that I will submit, I did it. And so preparing for that, I would, I would send him this thing and this big written out, beautiful thing. And he would say, no, that's not gonna work, try again. <laughs> He'll say he didn't say that, but that's what I heard. <laughs> and I would send him something else, and I would call Crystal, and I would read it to her, and she'd be like, that's awesome! That's exactly what you should say! And then I would send it to Bob, and he would say, nah, try again, you're not doing that. And I'd be like, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? And so finally he said to me, Angel, do you know that your testimony is the most powerful thing that you have? Is the living God working through you, and it is powerful. You can quote all the scripture you want, and you can stand here and do all you want, but being a testimony to what Christ has done is so much bigger, and it'll reach so many more people. And I know that every single person in this room has a testimony. Every single one of us. And my testimony is, is that when we started coming to this church, I, we say it was the first time, but it might not have been the very first time, maybe the second time. They were doing cardboard testimonies. And when my husband and I came here with our son, we were broken. Our marriage was broken. We were ugly people. We were not living for Christ. But we knew we wanted a good foundation for our son. We wanted him to be raised differently than the way we were living. Not necessarily the way we were raised, but the way we were living. We didn't want that for him. And we had church hopped and kept hearing good things about Hyde Wesleyan Church. Really didn't know a single soul here. And so it was a big deal for us to walk in the doors and not know anybody. And most of the churches that we went to, we felt like we were going to a church with Pharisees, lawmakers, people that were without sin, People that were saved and didn't need what we needed. We needed a hospital. So, these cardboard testimonies are coming through, and they're broken. These people are broken. I was different. I hadn't been to a church that people were actually broken. One of the girls' testimony was that she was ugly. She wasn't ugly, she was beautiful. But she felt ugly, and I knew that feeling. And I looked in the mirror, ugly. It's not a good feeling. And then the pastor got up, and he wasn't perfect either. He actually had something to say about being a sinner and needing saved and needing God and needing Jesus and needing grace and all the things that we all need. And I was like, oh my goodness, I think we found our home amongst other sinners that need Christ with a pastor that's going to speak the truth and speak from the Bible and not let us off the hook and not say it's okay to just live how you want to live. And my husband agreed with me. And now, 
We are unbroken. We are good. We are solid. We stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. And we're not afraid of the evil one anymore. Because we know that our teachers have given us what no one in this world could give us. Jesus. And guess what else? I'm not ugly. I don't care what you people think. Jesus thinks I'm beautiful. <laughs> and so I am thankful for that. And I find my worth in him every single day because of these teachers. And so when you get the opportunity, I encourage you to write a letter, to send an email, make a phone call. You saw what stopping in does. I don't know if you should stop in <laughs> from the video. <laughs> But give them the encouragement of what they have done for you. Give them a little piece of your testimony. It doesn't have to be the whole one. I'm not giving you guys my whole testimony. You would probably run out that door. It's not pretty. But it's beautiful now because I am here. My husband often says to me, did you think, like when Jack was maybe four, did you think, you know, eight years ago we'd have a kid? No. And now he says, do you think 10 years ago we would be going to school to become pastors? Do you think 10 years ago you'd be children's director at uh, the biggest church we've been for known? <laughs> do you think that 10 years ago you would be talking at pastor appreciation? No. But that is what an amazing God we serve. That we can do amazing things. And I'm not saying I'm amazing, but amazing things happen because of God through me. Because we are his doors. And he will use us. So let's remind our pastors of how they have helped us be their encouragement. When Amber wrote her letter to Pastor Bob, it, he was on a high. Well, I think he might still be on a high. <laughs> it was such an encouragement to him to know that when we're broken and we're a little less broken that what they're doing is making a huge difference in our lives, and not even just in our lives, but in our family's lives. And then that just keeps rippling and rippling and rippling, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a good thing. So let's just keep reminding them of that. If you will all just pray with me now, please. Dear Lord God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for each and every one of our pastors and their wives and their families, Lord God. Thank you for giving them us to shepherd. Thank you for giving us them for your word, your living word to come through them as their examples, as they speak, as they live their lives, Lord God. Let us always bless them. Let us always pray for them. Let us always be the united congregation that they long to have. Let us be better today than we were yesterday because of them, Lord God, because of you, because you work through them. And we are so very blessed for our pastors and for especially, Lord God, you and your son. We love you with all our hearts. In your son's holy and precious name, amen. As you know, uh, if you were on the phone tree, the secret phone tree that the pastors don't know about, it's fun being secretive. Now I'm we, as a church, had got together and uh, put a gift together for our pastors. And let me tell you something. It started off 
I know what the phone tree said. We were going to do this. We were going to collect money and do this. And God, I'm telling you, put roadblocks on that like you would not believe. And while we were in Africa, it hit me because uh, I was still trying to decipher how am I going to take care of this stuff from Africa. Uh, we, had, we had given uh, Beggy a gift uh, two years ago uh, for his house. And when we got back over this year, it turns out he didn't use it, any of it for his house because his need was there was something else. He needed a car because his wife drove five miles a day for water. And it hit me while I was over there, you know what, God, I'm giving this to you. I, I can't, I thought I would have communication when I was in Africa with the church. I can't communicate. I can't get this thing organized. But at that moment, it was God that said, hey, listen, you don't know what their needs are. I do. And they do. So we have uh, taken a collection up as a church. And we just want to bless our pastors with that. And we're going to start out with, I believe, Miss Angel. I have this. I'm good. Me too. <laughs> so the first pastor we're going to discuss is Miss Loretta Fullington. She's the pastor of Assimilation. And my husband said, who do you think should do Loretta? I said, me, 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 me. I love Pastor Loretta. <laughs> Let me talk about Pastor Loretta. So Pastor Loretta grew up in Bigler. And her parents modeled the lifestyle that a church doors were open. They were present. So if church was open, so were they. They were going to be there. She accepted Jesus as her Savior at the age of 13 and was blessed with godly teachers and saints within the congregation who showed her God's love and promises. She first learned to serve at the Bigler Evangel... Mm -mm. See, I, what? every time I have a word that just... I know it, and I'm not going to say it. The Brethren Church, we know where you went. A mission trip to Swaziland in 2004 brought her a firm call to serve others, and she began correspondence courses the following year, and she was ordained in September 2016. And she longs to be a living testimony to God's goodness and faithfulness. In 2010, Loretta became our pastor of assimilation, giving leadership to many areas within our church. She thanks God for all that he has blessed her with and quotes 2 Timothy 1.7, a verse that inspires her and keeps her going. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. She is an inspiration to all of us of the things that she does, and she just keeps going. She has had many trials in her life, and I know that she is an overcomer. I am thankful for her life and for her inspiration. When looking for a picture of Miss Loretta, there should be another slide. Mm -mm. Where'd he go? Oh, it's right here. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. There it is. <laughs> when you see that picture, she's smiling and she's happy. And of course, all of her pictures are smiling and happy, but who posts an angry, sad picture? No one. But in this photo, you can see the glimmer in her eye that she's just a little bit mischievous. <laughs> she's bright and funny and quick-witted, and she, we just love to be around her, and we laugh all the time. She is also the person at staff when we're there that we ask all medical questions and definitions of all large words. 
<laughs> she knows them immediately. So we love you so much, Pastor Loretta, and we thank you for your ministry and your testimony and your life. Pastor John Croft is our visitation pastor. Uh, pastor John was ordained in 1961 and has now been in active ministry for over 50 years. He serves as our pastor of visitation. He admits that his greatest joy in ministry has been the privilege to leading people to the Lord. Pastor John is the father of our lead pastor, Bob, and has another son, John, who is leading a church plant in Florida. He also has two daughters, Eunice, who serves with her husband at the Bridge, a growing church in the Pittsburgh, PA area, and Dorcas, who has served faithfully as a missionary in Swaziland. Pastor John's wife, Naomi, serves alongside John. She has testified that they have never had a fight and that they are a great example of living a life for the Lord and submitting to his commands. They have lived a life for the Lord, and their testimony of the miracles of the Lord have provided are amazing. Pastor John's favorite Bible verse is Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He enjoys fishing, hunting, and carpentry work. His responsibilities at Hyde Wesley include teaching a weekly small group Bible study, visiting our senior adults in their homes, nursing homes, and hospitals. I thank God that um, he called Pastor John um, into his ministry. And Pastor John, I thank you for listening to that call and serving. Thank you. Hi, Pastor Stevin. <laughs> Pastor Stevin grew up in a Wesleyan pastor's home in numerous states. <laughs> and up and down the East Coast, Maryland, Georgia, New York, and South Carolina. Stevin was ordained in the Indiana North District in 2004 and has served in churches in Indiana, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. He came on staff as the pastor of leadership development in July 2014. And when that happened, I remember... Um, Pastor Bob uh, talking about it and saying that this uh, Pastor Steven person was going to come along. And I had met Pastor Steven um, one time at one of the men's retreats. And his, his personality and his charisma and his sense of humor um, stuck out to me. And when Pastor Bob said that Steven was going to come here on staff, um, I jumped up and down and I was so excited. <laughs> In my spirit, I didn't do that on the outside. I was just inside. I, I stayed very calm. Uh, so Stevan and his wife Jessica have two children, Ella and Ezra, both in elementary school. Stevan has several unique collections, and if you stop to visit him in his office, you'll see some of them on display. He enjoys woodworking, technology, and being in the outdoors. And his newest hobby of uh, rustic signs is incredible. Uh, something I'd like to say personally, his sense of adventure is contagious. If you've, if you've been around Stevan for any length of time, um, his, his 
excitement and, and sense of adventure to serve God and to try anything is contagious, and it, it makes me excited to, to serve here at church with you. Stephen has a heart for the Lord and is obedient to his calling. He is original. Is that what we want to call him, original? Is that a, okay. He's original and fun and energetic, and most of all, he's real. He speaks the truth to those that seek his counsel and cares for the people of this church, this community, and he is sensitive to the hurts around him. And if you have heard him speak here or especially speak of his children or the kids' ministry here or the youth here, his heart is extremely soft um, to the young people of this church, and he's a definite blessing to them. Jessica is Stevens' wife, and he supports, she supports him in his ministry and his calling. She is fun and full of love and, of course, blessed with her amazing voice. We are so thankful for the leadership and love from Pastor Steven. We're supposed to have some pictures. Oh, there's a picture up there. Uh, the picture behind me depicts Steven, uh, his usual interactions with most people. Um, he makes us laugh. Um, every once in a while makes us cry with his, with his touching stories. But uh, we love him. He truly brings laughter to all the places and people with his wonderful sense of humor. So give him a big round of applause. So I'll be run out of here, here because when I got up, I was like, I don't have the gifts. <laughs> so I tracked down Hannah, and I had to, thought I was going to have to go slow, so I was going to, uh, Pastor Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but just in time, just like that, she handed them to me. I get Pastor Bob Croft, our lead pastor. Pastor Bob was ordained in 1982, <laughs> a long time ago, 12 I think I was, <laughs> I could hunt, in the Kentucky district of the Wesleyan Church, he's served as the lead pastor of the Hyde Wesleyan Church for nearly, what, 32 years, and thoroughly appreciates the people of Hyde, and we can tell. He enjoys the privilege of working together to advance the gospel together. Pastor Bob and his wife Cindy have three children. Rebecca is the oldest, married to Reverend Graham Perry, and together they pastor a Wesleyan church in Canada. Rebecca and Graham have three boys, Nathan, Eli, and Micah. John, their oldest son, works and lives in Baltimore, and their youngest son, David, works at a local business here in Clearfield and serves at the Kids Blast on Wednesday nights. Pastor Bob and Cindy have been great role models. I can't pronounce that one word. Well, we're together on that. <laughs> it's a big word. It means great. They've <laughs> been great role models for our church and for the way we are to live our lives through faith and works. We are so thankful to have Pastor Bob as our lead pastor. With his wisdom and understanding and grace, that has just been unbelievable. The picture behind me is a picture of Bob and his family, and this is what his life is about, family. And we are blessed to be part of that family. I consider Pastor Bob not only my pastor, I consider him my friend, I consider him my mentor. And I have been truly blessed 
for him to be part of my life. Can't even explain it. We thank you, Pastor Bob, for your service and your obedience to God. At this time, I'd like the pastors, if you could make your way to the front. And I'd like to have Kurt come up. And the wives. And the wives. <laughs> and mothers. Irma, you want Irma? What amazing staff we have here at our church. I'm going to ask them to spread out a little bit. Spread down a little bit. And I'm going to ask you, the church. I'm not going to comment. I could. There's many things I could say. But I'm going to ask you, not only the church, but the body of Christ, to come and join and lay hands on them. Right now. Pastors and, and their family, look around. As you can see, you're loved. Let's pray for them. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so blessed. To have the examples of these men and women before us. Ones who have heard your call and answered that call. Ones who have said yes to things that seemed impossible. Ones that have done it without wavering. Who may not have had answers, but had faith in you. Lord, we, we thank you for, for their lives. We thank you for their ministry. We thank you for who they are as not only our pastors and leaders, but as friends. Lord, we pray that you would honor them today, tomorrow, and throughout the year. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of each one of them. Lord, we thank you for Pastor John and Naomi, Lord. And the legacy they have begun, Lord. We thank you for the quiet leadership that he shows. 
that he presents the word of God to us. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Bob. Thank you that he has continued to follow after you. Lord, we thank you for Stephen. Lord, we pray that you would continue to use him, continue to show him your way. And for Pastor Loretta, Lord, thank you for the many things that we don't see that she does. Lord, I pray that you would continue to show them your vision, show them your direction, show them where you're already at work in this church. Pray that you would continue to uphold them and lift them up, strengthen them day by day as they do this without any thanks. Lord, I pray that you would bless them not only mentally and physically, Lord, but pray that you'd continue to grow their faith. Pray that you would put, put a hedge of protection around them and keep the enemy far, far away from them. Lord, we thank you for their devotion to you. We thank you for the love that they have shown us. Lord, we honor you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.